Welcome to the WMKT Week in Review. Welcome back to the WMKT Week in Review. I'm Nick Rudy, your host. I am joined today by Jennifer McKay, the Policy Director from Tip of the Mitt here in Petoskey. Jennifer's here to talk about Line 5, general lake pollution, and just the environment. So let's get right into it. Could you give a little historical background into uh, Tip of the Mitt? Sure. So Tip of the Mint Watershed Council is a nonprofit that was formed in 1979. Um, and it was formed by lake associations in northern Michigan in concert with the University of Michigan Biological Station that recognized that the lake associations and lakes around the region were all experiencing similar issues. And so there was a need for one voice in northern Michigan. Um, and and through that, uh, they created Tippett Watershed Council um, to be sort of the voice for northern Michigan's water resources. And so that is our mission, is to protect the water resources, which includes lakes, streams, wetlands, groundwater and of course the great lakes and what's like what's your coverage area would you say um so we have an on the ground coverage area which is uh the watersheds in antrim emmett and sheboygan county um but we also then have uh policy work that covers not only those um, watersheds in the local counties, but it also works on a statewide and Great Lakes basin-wide, so federal and international levels, because obviously policy that is done on an international um, and federal level impacts what happens here locally. Okay, so we'll be discussing a variety of topics. Uh, you're here to talk about Line 5 mostly. Uh, so I want to get started on that conversation. So five, uh, so far, the Line 5 tunnel is in early stages. It's been allowed to apply for permits. Last time I checked, Tip of the Mitt, among other conservation and environmental groups, have spoken out against this. Uh, is, that, is that true where the current state of things are? And I'll guess I'll let you like kind of riff on Line 5 for a while, a while, just like why you guys are opposed to it. Yeah, so Enbridge Energy Limited Partnership has applied for multiple permits. Um, with respect to the tunnel project. Um, they've applied to um, the Michigan Department of Environment, Great Lakes, and Energy, which is the state. Um, they've also applied to the Michigan Public Service Commission. They've applied to the uh, U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Um, so there's multiple permit processes going on. Um, the, as far as permits, the, the state department of environment, great lakes and energy or Eagle, as they're commonly known, actually approved, um, a permits on January 29th of last year. So they approved activity in coastal wetlands. Um, they approved discharges. Um, actually of an average of approximately 1.4 million gallons of treated wastewater per day to go into the Straits of Mackinac. Um, and the permit also allows for a discharge peak capacity of about 5 million gallons per day. The Army Corps of Engineers has not made a decision yet. They actually have requested to do um, what's called an environmental impact statement, which means that there are significant potential impacts to uh, public health and safety and to the environment. Um, and that environmental impact statement generally takes about two years. So we're going to undergo that. And then the Michigan Public Service Commission um, is underway as we speak. And so Final briefs are actually due here in the next week or two. Um, and then they are expected to make a decision later this year. Okay. And so they need permission from 
every single one of those organizations before they can start doing anything. Is that correct? That is correct. And then once they get that, they also need um, local zoning um, and permits. Okay, and that would probably uh, be a bit easier than the aforementioned permits. It, that that'll be a bit easier okay. than the the state and federal permits. Okay. Um, so yeah, I'd like. I'd so like they, to, oh, they go ahead. Sorry. Always, they still have a ways to go with respect to permitting. They've only obtained one. Uh, approval, which is, is it one out of four from the of those major uh, ones. Yes. Okay. So, I believe the concerns are fairly well known, but just for a, a novice listener, uh, what is Tip of the Mitt's primary concerns with this whole project? We have multiple concerns that have not been addressed, which is why um, we still, at this point in time, um, are uh, not supporting the tunnel project. Because until our concerns are adequately addressed, um, we cannot support it. So um, as far as our concerns, uh, there are impacts to Great Lakes coastal wetlands. Great Lakes Coastal Wetlands are considered to be some of the most valuable ecological areas in the Great Lakes, and they're critical to the Great Lakes ecosystem as a whole. The uh, coastal wetlands provide untold functions and values. They provide critical habitat for fish and wildlife, erosion control, water quality protection, recreational opportunities. And according to the Great Lakes Coastal Wetlands Monitoring Program, the proposed tunnel site is within one of the most pristine Great Lakes Coastal Wetlands in Lakes Michigan and Huron. And the site is used as a benchmark, meaning it's the best that we have. There are also threatened and endangered species. So there, we have Houghton's Goldenrod and Dwarf Lake Iris, which are both federally listed threatened species. They are present on the north side in Mackinac County. And based on a 2019 survey that was done, approximately 3,777 Houghton's Goldenrod plants and 7,757 Dwarf Lake Iris plants will be impacted by the project. To date, Enbridge has only proposed to relocate only 50% of those plants. So we're losing 50% of our federally endangered plants. We also have migratory birds. Um, Anyone who's been to the Straits should know that the Straits are continentally important for water bird migration with tens to hundreds of thousands of individuals passing through the area each spring and fall. Um, And species that we commonly see in the area, we have more than 25 species of waterfowl, um, common loons, grebs, cormorants, many of which have both high ecological value and great economic value as game species. In addition, over 50,000 raptors, including bald and golden eagles, migrate over the Straits region each year. We also have summer breeding birds, again, which includes some federally endangered species, such as the piping plover. There are issues with tribal fishery rights. Um, So the proposed project occurs within the area of the 1836 treaty territory for Michigan tribes. And we have five of the 12 federally recognized Indian tribes um, in Michigan are parties to that 1836 Treaty of Washington, which reserves off-reservation hunting and fishing rights throughout the ceded territory and approximately 40% of present-day Michigan. Um, And the Mackinac Straits are located in the center of that ceded territory. I don't want to. I don't want to many... interrupt you. I had a question just about that. Uh, that one concern yeah. about the uh, mm-hmm. the eighteen eighty six treaty. Uh, ha- does that yeah. have anything to do with that uh, recent news that the Supreme Court, I think it was, uh, denied the the motion from the tribes that it was reservation land from that treaty? So does that have any impact on that? No, it has no impact on that. 
so that was the tribe trying to sort of expand um, where their treaty reservation lands or treaty reservation on land is. Okay. Well, it has nothing to do with those rights of fishing and such as that. Nope. Okay, perfect. Nope. Nope. So the 1836 treaty uh, has hunting and fishing rights regardless throughout the ceded territory, which includes the Straits of Mackinac. Um, okay. And so again, it, it, that is not impacted by it at all. Okay. And there are many members of the five treaty tribes who are commercial fishermen um, who depend upon the Great Lakes fishery for their livelihood. A substantial proportion of the tribes Fish harvest come from the state Straits of Mackinac, um, and many of the tribes have tourism-based economies depend depend on the Great Lakes. So, sure. So, is there other concerns? Um, um, there's also risk of explosion. Um, so, the possibility of accidents causing a catastrophic underground explosion in the proposed tunnel has been raised um, by oil and gas experts. Um, and one of the reasons that um, Enbridge has proposed the tunnel is to eliminate the risk of a spill or catastrophic event in the Straits. However, it's been brought up during the Michigan Public Service Commission case um, that sending the hazardous and volatile gases and crude oil through the pipeline enclosed in a tunnel, in fact, enhances the risk of explosion. And the electrical equipment inside the tunnel could actually ignite the hydrocarbon vapors trapped within that infrastructure, causing an explosion, which could actually then cause a release or spill into the straits. And then we also have the cultural resources. So the Straits are known to have present cultural resources, cultural and historical resources, um, specifically tribal cultural resources. Um, the Michigan State Historic Preservation Office provided um, the state with a letter requesting that additional information need to be provided, specifically a professional archaeological survey of additional areas, and that was never accomplished. Um, and so with all of these factors, um, the Watershed Council cannot support a tunnel project because there are so many potential adverse impacts to water resources, to cultural resources um, that still are in play. So I have kind of like a twofold question and I'll only give you the first one. So what would be <laughs> the, what would get you guys to approve the project? Do you need all of those concerns addressed? Do you have kind of like a ranked tier of like, all right, if these five were addressed, um, we'd give the okay. What would What would get you guys... Or are you just uh, completely opposed to the pipeline under the water in a tunnel um, under the straits? We would like all of those to be adequately addressed. At the same point in time, the Watershed Council does have a policy position regarding crude oil in, in, or under the Great Lakes. Um, and that you know, because of our capabilities or lack thereof to clean up a spill in the Great Lakes, um, that we believe that there are certain things that should not occur, and that is transportation of crude oil in the Great Lakes, whether it's by vessel or by pipeline, and whether that is again, on the bottomlands or under the bottomlands. You know, that's not to say we are against pipelines because they are one of the safest means to transport crude oil, but there are some areas that are simply too sensitive um, and where the risk is too great. Should there be a spill, the result is going to be too catastrophic. Okay, that's a, that's um, a perfect answer. 
and, um, and, and, the, and, the, and the waters of the Great Lakes is one of those areas. Of course. So, obviously, I'm sure you guys aren't, you don't exist just to <laughs> offer opposition, but you also propose alternatives. So, do you have any alternatives that you guys have uh, proposed? There have been a number of different alternatives that have been um, offered uh, through a variety of different studies. So the state actually did um, a study, an alternatives analysis study. I served on the Michigan Pipeline Safety Advisory Board. And an alternatives analysis was done by a company called Dynamic Risk. Um, and they looked at a number of alternatives, which included constructing one or more new pipelines that don't cross the open waters of the Great Lakes, using alternative methods of transportation, um, which would be, you know, looking at rail and tanker trucks. Um, it would. They also looked at um, a full abandonment of the pipeline. Um, and all of these were deemed feasible. Um, and then there was another study done by London Economic International, and it was determined that utilizing multimodal transportation, so utilizing rail, trucking, and existing pipelines, um, could actually provide Michigan with the product that it needs so we could get the commodities we need that are currently served by line five um, with very minimal economic impact. Um, there would be very little increase to gas prices, to oil prices, to propane prices. Um, the same came from um, the governor created a UP propane task force that obviously one of the biggest concerns with potentially shutting down or decommissioning line five is the impact of, you know, propane, particularly to the upper peninsula. Um, and so the task force looked at what, you know, alternatives would be. And it was determined that, you know, there are alternative methods, um, to get propane to the Upper Peninsula. And they're, they're already being used. Line 5 is not the only source of propane to the UP. And that through other means, such as, you know, storage capacity on trying to you know, reduce use through various means, um, investments in rail, that actually we could very much provide propane without freezing anyone in the UP if Line 5 was systematically shut down. Let's take a quick break from the action here on WMKT Special Edition interviews on 1023 and 1033 FM, 1270 AM, Triple Talk, WMKT. Glenn Beck. Dugan is very good at using language to try to get people scooped up into this Russian movement, and it is extraordinarily dangerous. His great awakening is all to fight the Great Reset, but his problem is individualism. He believes we have to have a collective view. So that's where America breaks away from any of this stuff that Russia is pushing. The Glenn Beck Program on WMKT. It's Nick Rudy from WMKT. I wanted to tell you about a special segment that airs every weekday morning right here on WMKT. Tune in at 6.15, 7.15, and 8.15 for the WMKT Ag Report. Join Nicole Heslip. I'm Nicole Heslip. For the most up-to-date farm news for all across Michigan. We've known for a long time that there's problems in how the food chain is incredibly efficient, but not always resilient. The Ag Report with Nicole Heslip on WMKT.
You're listening to 102.3 and 103.3 FM, 1270 AM WMKT. Let's get right back into the WMKT special edition interviews. Okay, so that's very similar to what I've seen as proposed alternatives. Um, So a report titled Alternatives for Crude Oil Supply to Ontario and Quebec Refineries and Associated Impacts on Ontario and Quebec Refined Product Markets. Don't know who wrote that title, but they should probably be fired. It was way too long. Uh, it was prepared for a Canadian environmental group. Uh, I believe it was called Environmental Defense of Canada. The report mm-hmm. offered these following solutions if Line 5 were su- shut down. It may not be exact to uh, the ones that you mentioned previous, but I believe it's at least fairly similar. It would be expansion of Enbridge's uh, Energy's Line 78 uh, to the uh, design capacity, which is 800,000 BD on line 78A from Flanagan, Illinois to Stockbridge, Michigan, and 525,000 BD on line 78B from Stockbridge, Michigan to Sarnia, I believe is how it's pronounced. So basically, line 78 would have to be run at full capacity. No line currently runs at full capacity, and lines have minor leaks. There's been a handful of leaks on line 5, which has obviously been a concern, um, not in the, the straight area, but through the rest of the pipeline. Uh, would it not severely increase the likelihood uh, of leaks if a pipeline was run at full capacity to make up for a lack of another pipeline? Um, and then there has been, as you mentioned, trucks and rail, trucks potentially having to drive over the bridge, which is dangerous potentially for the bridge's age, uh, high winds, and also another concern that Michiganders face is uh broadband internet, which most people wouldn't actually believe ties into this Line 5 issue, but currently railroads are part of the reason why broadband is not easily accessible by rural areas because rail companies do not want broadband cable underneath their railroad. So if if there was more rail added, that could also be a potential concern as in having to have a harder time of laying down broadband cables. So basically, would it, I guess we'll go question by question, would running a line 78 at full capacity increase the likelihood of, you know, more leaks? Um, so running a pipeline at full capacity is not necessarily what causes uh, a risk to increase. What causes a risk to increase is operation and maintenance. And so it's really how often is the line inspected? How is the line maintained? And that's what you have to look at. Okay. Um, So one could argue that a pipeline, wherever it may be, to decrease the capacity for or decrease the likelihood of stopping leaks, you would just raise the standards for inspection and maintenance yeah so so with you know so line 78 is the old line 6b um (laughs) that ruptured um and there there also is a bit of consideration with if in fact the commodities that are transported through line five can actually be transported through line 78 because that line is dedicated to what are called heavy crudes, um, diluted bitumen or dilbit. Um, and what is transported through line five is light crudes and natural gas liquids. So there is a question of if in fact they can all be transported through the same line. Sure, and that makes complete sense. So it would likely be up to trucks. Another study said barges, which I know you guys are also opposed to as well, however, but um, trucks and rail, you know, a fair amount of people have seen on the news, I would imagine, of trucks and rail tipping over, which would be just as environmentally costly, as I would imagine, as a, you know, a leak in the line, um, in any place other than under the straits, obviously. So would that well, also yeah, be a concern? It, it, so obviously it's it's a very much a concern. So when you look at risk, you have to look at um, the likelihood of it happening and then also what is the outcome. And so with rail and truck, um, 
it is more likely to have an incident, but the in general, the outcomes are less catastrophic. And that is because trucks and rail cars have a finite amount of capacity. Um, you know, trucks can only carry so much. And if it spills, that's it. Um, versus a pipeline that can continue to leak and leak and leak, as was the case in Marshall, Michigan, where the pipeline continued to spew oil for 17 hours until the pipeline was eventually shut off. And so is that a concern that you could fix, um, not completely per se, but as we talked about earlier, having better maintenance and more protections put in place so that it doesn't take 17 hours to shut a pipeline down? Do you not think that's something that can be improved upon? Well, Embrick has hopefully improved upon that from lessons learned. Um, but what comes into play with that is always human error. Sure. Um, you know, Embrick has taken steps to um, identify the problems that occurred in Marshall, Michigan, and, you know, did a lot of training and hopefully will avoid that. But you also have to take into the fact that human error occurs. So what would you say to someone who is concerned about tailpipe emissions and an increased likelihood of a, but yet, as you mentioned, smaller, you know, leak from a truck or a train. Um, so you're, you're nearly guaranteeing, you know, a more of an environmental impact to, um, lo to uh, completely get rid of a lower, significantly lower risk of a pipeline leak in the uh in the straits can you ask that question again yeah so so someone who would be concerned with pipe uh tailpipe emissions from those trucks because you would have to inc oh. vastly increase the fleet um tailpipe emissions of trains um increasing the likelihood of a train in a truck i mean it's not even increasing it it will eventually happen you know it'll it'll happen once or twice a year versus you know you're trying to completely get rid of a much lower risk, you know, line five leaking in the Straits of Mackinac. Um, so, so that's a great point. Um, and greenhouse gas emissions um, have been thoroughly analyzed um, as part of the Michigan Public Service Commission case. And the tunnel, it has been determined, um, you know, if it is constructed, would actually lead to about 27 million metric tons or 59.5 billion pounds of additional carbon dioxide emissions, as opposed to a future in which the pipeline is closed and no tunnels built. And putting a cost to that, um, if you look at from 2027, which is the earliest it could ever be built, to 20. 70, which is the farthest we can actually go out economically, the average annual climate costs would approximate $1 billion each year. So you're looking at $41 billion in climate effects. So what are those emissions from and what would those costs be addressing? So that's a great question. Um, so that is a number of things. It's, you know, first of all, construction activities, producing, refining the oil from the regions. It's, you know, once they're combusted or oxidized, it's, the, the way it was analyzed is sort of what's called upstream and downstream. <laughs> so initial extraction and processing of the petroleum, the operation of the oil wells, um, and the other equipment needed to process or handle the oil. So what it takes to run the um, tunnel boring machine, 
um, what it takes to run all the equipment to create the tunnel um, and to put the pipeline into it. And then also then what a barrel of oil, crude oil releases on average once it's combusted. Okay. So it's just those two things. It would be the creation of the tunnel and then the combustion of the oil. Would would not the oil be combusted either way, whether it's through the if the oil comes through the line or through truck or barge or rail? Um, so obviously, yes, some of it would. Um, and so the way this was calculated is um, that the majority of it would be combusted anyway. But it, the way the economics and climate change uh, experts look at it is there would be a decrease because obviously not everything would be getting to market from the decommissioning. And that's because, considered a good thing? Um, because people would obviously be looking to other beings. Um, because as a society, you know, we have plans, whether it's the federal plan, the state plan, to start moving towards you know, zero emissions and renewable resources. Sure. And this would only, this would only help that. Um, I'd like to get into that in a second because I have, I have one more question regarding the, uh, the, the creation of the tunnel, and then my next transition would have been into costs and stuff. So if we, if we could hold on that for a second, that'd be great. So sure. you mentioned, and I'm not a scientist or anything like that, so, um, you know, just taking your word for the the tunnel creating a large portion more of the emissions uh, initially, it would be more than just if you were trucking it for the first couple of years, probably. You mentioned, I think it was 2070 was the, the furthest out that you could you could go. But, you know, so it's a, it's a stupid analogy almost, but so I use AA rechargeable batteries for a couple of things at my apartment. So... It's more expensive up front, uh, and is from what I've read, it's the, the creation. If you're just creating a regular double A versus a rechargeable double A, the rechargeable double A is actually more, you know, harmful environmentally um, at the initial creation. But over a period of time, if, if you're not like me and lose them on occasion, but I haven't bought double-A batteries for probably about three years because of my use of rechargeable. So in the long run, it's paid off. Maybe in the first, like, month or year, you know, the environmental impact of creating that rechargeable double-A battery was more significant. But over a longer period of time, by me not using a variety of different double-A batteries, I don't know if you can see where the analogy is going, because if we used trucks and rail, that infrastructure ages and dies much quicker, especially if it's going over the Mackinac Bridge, which is already an aging piece of infrastructure. So I could see where it's coming from potentially in the um, the short term. You know, it's not obviously like a double A battery. It's, it's expanded in more years, but in the short term as in 10, maybe even 20 years, but over a longer period of time, is that still not a concern that all of this, you know, these trucks um, would more of an environmental impact? Yes and no. So, yes, obviously we have concern of <laughs> emissions coming from either rail or truck. However, so if you look at the entire emissions of the entire project, it would include, it would cause 87,000 metric tons from construction and operation. Um, and that would be emitted annually. However, what acknowledging that some of, obviously, the liquids, um, the crude oil and natural gas liquids, would be transported through other methods and ultimately consumed, the net emissions caused by the tunnel project would be 27 million metric tons annually 
And is that including the, um, gosh, how do I say this? The, the amount of shortage that it would create. You mentioned that not that as much would be consumed um, if it was not going through pipeline because you couldn't transport all of it. So is that emission so that included in that number? So that's saying um, that it would still be transported by other met methods and ultimately consumed. Right, but the um, those two numbers of missions, which either way it's transported. Remember the uh, you mentioned if we transported it by truck or alternative methods, we wouldn't be transporting as much. And you mentioned that one of the the biggest environmental impacts caused by the pipeline was the combustion of the oil that it transported. So is the combustion of the oil that is transported calculated in that 27 million metric ton? Yeah. Okay. And so the difference between what would be transported by truck and be transported by the uh, pipeline, do you happen to know what that difference is? If I'm reading all the reports correctly, <laughs> it's that 27 million. Okay. So, it, so that's the number, it's 27 million less. Do you know? Do you happen to know then what the total environmental impact of the pipeline would be or is? I don't know if it's going to if it's going to uh, support the exact same amount if it's in the tunnel or not of oil coming through. So that's that would be the tunnel project, not the pipeline. Okay, so the, itself. Right. So the tunnel project is twenty seven million metric tons. Of, yes. Okay, and that and includes the oil that's combusted, though. Correct. <laughs> Yes. Okay. So do you happen to know what that number would be if it's not considering the combusted oil? Because the, the oil is going to be combusted either way. Right. So, no, so this is the net emissions caused by the proposed project. And that takes into account the fact that liquids would be transported and sure. consumed. So the the report doesn't have an answer to what. So if it, because I it's my question is basically, what is so the environmental impact of everything creating the tunnel besides the oil being transported? So you're just looking for the environmental um, impact of creating the tunnel. Is it? It's obviously going to be less than twenty seven million. So you're looking for operation. You're you're looking for construction. Yeah, like just the construction impact, I guess. Because while you're looking for, I, I want to like just make sure you understand what I'm I'm looking at is that you know either way the oil is going to be transported. You did mention that it would be less through the you know the truck, which or other ulterior met methods. What you know I'd like to talk about in a little bit, but you know it's how you would compare those two alternatives is not based upon the amount of oil that's being you know consumed because it's going to be consumed either way. It'd be what's the environmental impact of the construction project versus the environmental impact over a period of time of truck and, you know, rail. So it's construction will cause, um, so it's 87,000 metric tons. And so that's 87,000 metric tons compared to 27 million metric tons that the report indicates. But that's including the oil consumption. Now, granted you know, the oil consumption by truck is going to be less, but, you know, that's going to create a, a host of other problems. Do you have any numbers off the top of your head of what an environmental impact of trucks would be for a year of um, transporting oil or other alternative, alternative methods? So um, that is a fantastic question. And... Everyone back here outside of this current conversation in the editing booth, I did some math to answer the question I asked. So 87,000 metric tons is the amount that the construction project from line five would create of carbon emissions, that is. And so what I did was I went and looked at how many, how many carbon emissions a truck emits per year. And so a single truck emits 223 metric tons of carbon emissions per year. And so obviously, if you're going to be transporting oil, not through the pipeline, but through truck, you'd have to increase your fleet. And so I wanted to see how many trucks it would take to, to um, 
create the exact same amount of carbon emission that the creation of the tunnel would make. And so that, that math equation is 87,000 metric tons divided by 223 metric tons for one truck for a single year. And so that number comes out to 390 trucks. And so the one-time creation of line 5 would create 87,000 metric tons from running the equipment, the bore, all that sort of stuff. And that 390 additional trucks per year of carrying oil would create the exact same amount of carbon emissions. And obviously, 390 trucks is about where I would think is how many trucks you would need per year of transporting oil that comes through line five. And obviously, it would have to be done year over year. So it would not just be a one time thing. I know this conversation has been very confusing, and I really hope that that little breakdown was helpful in visualizing the climate impact of running the equipment to create line five and running the trucks per year. And on that note, it's a perfect time for one more break. We'll be right back with Jennifer McKay from Tip of the Mint on WMKT. You're listening to 1023 and 1033 FM, 1270 AM, Triple Talk, WMKT. Have you ever wanted to know what it's like to climb Mount Everest? Are you fascinated with endurance sports? Then we have the podcast for you. It's Nick Rudy from Triple Talk, WMKT. I was able to sit down with Luke Koscheski, a survivor of the 1996 Mount Everest expedition that ended in tragedy with the deaths of eight people. Lou authored a book in 2015 detailing his experience and how he survived. He shares those insights in an hour-long discussion with me that you won't want to miss. Listen to the latest episode of WMKT Special Edition Interviews right now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at our website, WMKTTheTalkStation.com. Check out this clip. Pressures internally, pressures externally. I know myself. I made two decisions at that moment. At noon, I, I knew, we all knew, we could reach the top. We were 400 feet from the sun. Um, there was no question we could reach the top. But there was also no question at noon it was too late. We were out of time. Welcome back to the WMKT Special Edition interviews. Let's get back to our conversation with Jennifer McKay. Um, the question lies in who needs to be served. So Line 5 currently serves primarily Canada. Sure. And um, how many trucks need to go through Michigan? to serve Canada or how many trucks need to go through Michigan to serve Michigan? Well, I think you, you mentioned line five, you know, delivers to Canada as well, but that number of 27 million with oil combusted or 87 metric tons, 87,000 metric tons without the oil combusted for the construction of that, um, that's going to happen no matter who it serves. So it would technically be, you know, the environmental impact of whatever alternative method needs to be taken to make up for line five being removed and shut down and no longer serving whatever areas that it does serve. So whatever the comparable alternative method would be. Yes and no. Um, because trucks don't need to come through Michigan. But they would still leave an environmental impact. I guess I didn't answer your question correctly. So it's not just for Michigan, for wherever they're going, because they're going to have to, you know, transport right. stuff. So it doesn't matter if they're coming through Michigan or not. Uh, yes and no. I mean, so greenhouse gases, you know, particularly in Michigan, have a greater impact upon the climate health, uh, climate and health of Michigan. Um, they have global impacts, absolutely. But we're trying to reduce what we can in Michigan. Sure, but it, the, the trucks, if they don't come through Michigan, would have to go somewhere else. So it, it's the sum total would still be the same amount. Correct. Okay. Um, sure. So 
I, I think that's, you know, as much as I've dug in on that, um, those, that questioning, I, we mentioned costs, so I, I only have about 20 minutes left, so I, I don't want to take too much of your time. Um, but I think the cost aspect would be important as well. So you mentioned right off the bat, um, and I, I might just go on a, a quick tangent real quick. So you, you did mention that the amount of oil consumed um, or transport, well, first off, the amount of oil that um, is transported by line five would decrease if an alternative method would be used. I just, is that, is that correct? Potentially. Potentially. Okay. Uh, in theory, the amount of crude oil and natural gas liquid would decrease okay. if line five buttered. Okay. You know, that potentially may make an individual balk at the, uh, the shortage it might create. I, I do understand that you were speaking that the country at a federal level, even at local level, moves are being made towards electric vehicles, which I think is great. However, the cost of such you know, electric vehicles and stuff is still a bit high. But in, in other costs uh, related issues, we're already facing a trucker shortage, uh, inflation with the shortage only uh, and inflation with the shortage only getting worse potentially if more trucks were used. If you have to increase the amount of trucks, you know, and you're already facing a trucker shortage, that would be a problem. There'd be a lot of taxpayer money being spent on railways and infrastructure to support this. Enbridge is currently offering to pay for the tunnel and allow Michigan to own it and the bridge authority to operate it. So it'd be a lot of taxpayer money. And then on top of it, I know this is a recent issue out of the control of pretty much everyone. State Representative in Marquette, Sarah Cambensi, I believe is how you pronounce her name. Sorry if I didn't get it right. Democrat noted. Cambed. Thank you. One thing that I, she said, quote, one thing that I really found when I was looking at what the alternatives are is the opposition, opposition doesn't always have a plan. They have a lot of ideas. They think they have a lot of plan in the way that they think they can do it, but there are a lot of gaps. She also added that the situation in Ukraine has made it even more necessary to have a reliable source of energy. Elon Musk, you know, obviously the noted electric car maker for Tesla tweeted, quote, hate to say it, but we need to increase the oil and gas output immediately. You know, Musk is an environmentalist, maker of the electric cars, uh, but realizes the situation in Ukraine, the U.S. needs to reinvest in oil. So between, you know, gas prices hitting an, a record all-time high, facing trucker shortages already currently, and increasing the amount of trucks needed to be on the road if an alternative was taken, but still having that trucker shortage, taxpayer money you know, lay down the rails, uh, taxpayer money to build other infrastructure. You know, the roads already suck. With having all those trucks probably cross on those roads isn't going to make it any better. And then losing a, um, a pipeline uh, and having a sh to use less oil, potentially, as you added, uh, if an alternative method was used would create a shortage, maybe only in the short term. You know, that would remain to be seen. So the cost of, you know, gas would very likely increase more. So all of those costs to taxpayers to, um, for a variety of reasons, would be a bit concerning. Is there any other options that you guys have as alternatives? Is there any other options as far as getting the cost of electric cars, which you do have some problems even still yet with, you know, it being cold in Michigan and batteries not loving the cold, you know, the cost of the electric car just in general is nowhere close to what consumers can pay. So how, how would we combat those costs? Okay. You threw out a lot. No, I know. And we can and go see. point by point if you want to. I, I just, you know, I like just presenting the whole thing. And then if I have, we have to go back, that's totally fine. Yeah. Um, so a couple of things. First of all, Umbridge is not paying for the entire tunnel by themselves. There has already been appropriations of over $4 million of taxpayer dollars to go towards the tunnel. Okay. Taxpayers paying for this tunnel. Taxpayers will continue to pay for this tunnel. It is not on Enbridge alone. Taxpayers are paying for it. So that's the first thing. How much is the project? Uh, do you know off the top of your head? So it was originally estimated at $500 million. However, that was when the tunnel was estimated to be 10 feet in diameter. The tunnel has now gone to 21 feet in diameter, and um, an email was sent through the Department of Transportation to the 
Mackinac Straits Corridor Authority that basically doubled that estimate. Okay, so it'd be a billion. Um, and it's it's expected to continue to rise as the longer it takes and the more complicated the project gets. So it's about okay, but roughly Michiganders would be on tap for about four percent of the project. Uh, I don't know exactly how much Michiganders are going to be on on tap for, but I know appropriations. We've already it's the latest been, estimate. We've already spent four point five million of taxpayer dollars, and I guarantee you we're going to spend be more. a lot more. Okay. Um, the second point is in multiple reports. That includes the state alternative analysis by dynamic risk, the London Economic International Report. Um, all of those reports have indicated that the increase to gas prices, the increase to propane, will be minimal if Line 5 is decommissioned. Um, and in particular, the London Economics International study that noted that the cost increases are low relative to typical propane oil and gas price volatility um, and would be minimal to industry and consumers. Do they have an I, estimate? They All of them have estimates, yes. Um, and, you know, I think... Depending on where you are in the state, um, it was between one cent and maybe twenty-five percent. Or I'm sorry, one one cent and twenty-five cents. Okay. But again, it it depends on where you are in the state, um, and and what you're looking at, whether it's propane, oil, gasoline prices. But all of them indicated it would be a very minimal increase. And do you know what price. That, uh, price increase would be from? Is that just from the uh, potential shortage created by alternative methods, or is that in taking into account, you know, any cost related to the alternative methods? It's, it's most likely taking into account the increased costs associated with the alternative methods, so the infrastructure for rail, the infrastructure okay. for parking. Um, as far as, you know, the fact that we are going to have shortages due to the current world situations, um, a lot of what goes through line five is exported out of North America. And so I think something that needs to be considered is, one, the U.S., and North America, keeping the oil that is If we bear from, the risk, take more of the oil sort of thing? <laughs> like, we, it, the oil that is from North America should stay in North America. That's fair. We should stop, we should stop exporting it. And that's because being exported then, to Canada? Uh, well, we have, we have oil coming from Western Canada, the Balkans. We have oil coming from Northern Michigan. Michigan, um, and a lot of it gets exported. Okay, and is it is it is it exported to just Canada, or is it exported elsewhere? Do you know? It may it not is be exported that important. Else. It is exported overseas. Okay, sure, and that's a, that's a totally and, fair point. And and if we stopped exporting overseas and we kept it within the North American continent gas prices might not raise as much because we might not have such a significant shortage. There wouldn't be as much of a drop. Okay. If, if we looked at what we're doing holistically with our oil and our gas, then I think, you know, we could have, we could address some of the shortages. We could address some of the price increases. Sure. You know, and that would be kind of a, and it's it's out of pretty much everyone's hands at this point, other than maybe even at the federal level. I mean, because it was announced, I think it was yesterday that we've banned Russian oil, so that will probably be a, a lingering effect for a few years. Maybe things get resolved and we go back to Russian oil, but you know, we'll never know. Uh, I do have one last uh, topic of conversation I'd like to touch on with you, unless you want, and I, I want to give you the opportunity to address anything that I said though previously. No, go ahead. Okay. 
So obviously it wouldn't solve like there's propane, there's na other natural gas. It, 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 some of it goes to like the actual gas for our cars. There's obviously a couple of different things that pipeline that line five, you know, supports. Um, but so this wouldn't solve all of it. So I'm not, I don't want to pretend that me throwing this out here, it would, but a partial compromise that I would have thought would have been supported by both parties that really um, hasn't gained a whole lot of traction in recent years um, is nuclear energy. Republicans, I would have thought, would like it because it's safe, cheap, and effective. Um, Democrats would have liked it because it is clean and safe. Um, I do want to get your thoughts on nuclear here in a, in a second. I just want to express my frustrations and how we all have a we we can all, we all have a productive discussion on line five. We can all have that till the cows come home, but it will likely continue to get gridlocked, tied up in court, and further divide people. Line five is obviously a very div divisive issue, especially in northern Michigan, and it just seems to me that there is a partially there's a bipartisan partial solution that no one wants to look into very much. Um, personally, I want to protect the environment, but I also don't want my bills to increase, especially, you know, when I was writing the script, you know, this was before the prices started to just skyrocket due to unforeseen circumstances in Ukraine and Russia. I don't want bills to increase. I don't want to pay for more infrastructure when our current infrastructure already sucks. When there's a solution that might lower energy bills, protect the environment, and elected officials and lobbyists only argue about the same topic. Everyday people in northern Michigan, like myself, would get frustrated uh, and just go with the path of least resistance, which seems to be this tunnel. Again, Elon Musk tweeted, quote, hopefully it is now extremely obvious that Europe should restart dormant nuclear power stations and increase power output of existing ones. It is critical to national and international security interests. Granted, he didn't say whether he thinks that's a permanent or temporary solution as the war happens. What's your organization's stance on nuclear energy as a potential solution in maybe it's a full solution or it's just a partial solution? So Tip of the Mint Watershed Council does not have an official stance on uh, nuclear power. That being said... Um, we have worked on the decommissioning of Big Rock Point, and we have worked with Sen uh, Representative Kildee on the um, proposals to store nuclear waste on the shores of Lake Huron in Canada. And so I think the big consideration when it comes to nuclear is the waste. And until we have a way to properly store the waste, we will always have a significant issue with nuclear. Um, if you look at Big Rock Point, um, the site was restored after Big Rock Point was demantled. However, we still have nuclear waste on the shores of Lake Charlevoix. And it will be there for some time. Um, and it poses a threat. Is that um, technology, um, I mean, that was, I think, Big Rock Point, if I'm not mistaken, was shut down in 94. Um, it might have actually been earlier than that. I'm not a completely sure. Has technology for nuclear not improved a bit and people's concern for the environment, obviously, even especially in northern Michigan, gone up? But I would argue, you know, nationwide, the concern for the environment's gone up. So do you think there would be a bit of a more of an incentive to uh, deal with nuclear waste in a bit more of a uh, sophisticated fashion? The problem is, what, what do you do with nuclear waste? Where does it go? We have no national repository for it. How do you deal with it? Well, I think that would be a great thing for people to talk about, you know, at the elected officials level or the level of scientists and stuff, because there's a lot of um, inefficient and ineffective conversations going on in other avenues of energy. And I think that this could be a potential solution, but I just don't feel like anyone is really looking into it. So again, until, the, until there is a solution for the waste that is caused by nuclear power, um, I, I think 
I think there's a big problem with nuclear power because because of the waste generated. So regarding waste, Not- electrical um, has also its fair share of waste. Uh, batteries from cars, and there's a lot of uh, environmental impact on solar. A lot of the wind turbines that are coming down um, because they're no longer uh, deemed operational you know, there's not a, not a lot of good options for those either. Uh, granted, they probably would have a lesser impact on the environment than nuclear waste. But is there a long-term solution, especially with those batteries from cars, on how to deal with them? Waste is an issue for everything we're dealing with. And just like you mentioned, solar um, and electric, it, waste is always an issue. Um, we have to think about uh, cradle to grave when we are looking at any energy source and we've not always done that Um, and that's something we need to be more cognizant about and we need to be more holistic about how we think about energy sure so there is is there there's just maybe not at the top of your head i i know i've been asking you a lot of questions as if you know like you're the uh you know, you, you hold all the answers, so I apologize for that. But there is no, like, going theory on how to handle large amounts of electrical, you know, produced waste, per se. Or is there? Hey, guys, it's Nick again from the editing booth here to interrupt you once more for the final time, I promise. So that question that I asked, Jennifer did give me an answer. But since she did not deem herself to be an authority on the issue, she requested for that to not be in the episode and I wanted to honor her request. If you have those questions as I did in the episode, if you would like to reach out to the show directly, I could give a summarized version of what she said or I could give you her contact information and you could reach out to Tip of the Mitt for what she said as well. But for now, we're going to leave that out of the publicly aired episode. The best way to reach the show is on Facebook 1023 and 1033 FM 1270 AM WMKT's Facebook page. There's a button that you can click to message us directly, and I will get back to you as soon as I see it. The reason I, I'm going in that direction is because the, um, you know, every action has a consequence. So, like you mentioned, the, um, you know, if the the line five shutting down um, would lead to a potential shortage of gas for available gas for cars, and then. Um, you mentioned that it would be a good push in the direction of electrical vehicles and other alternative solutions. Um, so, you know, like you said, every, everything should be considered from cradle to grave. So, you know, if we're going to, if we're going to actively push for something, there should be, you know, good, good thought into, uh, that the, the the alternative solution is, um, you know, going to be a a good long-term solution. Yeah. And, and the market is really resilient. So, Enbridge was partially shut down for over three months this summer. And the market was able to completely provide for the lack of what Enbridge was able to provide. And there was no impact at the gas pump whatsoever. In fact, Michigan was actually lower than the national average. And do you happen to know what that um, was that like? the release of like petroleum reserves or something like that? I'm not, I'm not sure how that was provided, but the market is able to really, the market provides sure. for no, and I, I, these changes. You know, and I, I do it agree. Happens, I do agree. It happens time whether there's a hurricane in Texas or, you know, a tornado in Ohio, um, the market provides for these changes. Sure. And it's very flexible. Sure. And obviously there are extreme situations that happen that, you know, cause significant price increases, and we've seen them. But in general, the market is very flexible and can adjust which is why it is anticipated if line five is shut down, it can adjust pretty fairly and quickly. And there are propane companies in the upper peninsula and Northern lower Michigan that have said they're ready to adjust. Should it get shut down? 
This has been the WMKT Special Edition Interviews. My name is Nick Rudy. I'm your host. Thanks for joining me for this episode. Be sure to check out all of our other episodes that are on demand right now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at our website, WMKTTheTalkStation.com. We will be back with many podcasts in the upcoming weeks. <laughs>